Familiar? Yep. Yep. And we've, uh, I've, I've forgotten just about everything we do. Should be a blessing on the inside of the others. So, why don't you give us that for May good your will on an eye, our God, that mishap not come about through us, and may we not stumble in a matter of law and cause our colleagues to rejoice over us. And may we not say regarding something which is to may that is to whore, and not regarding something which is to whore that is to may. And may our colleagues not stumble in a matter of law, and we rejoice over them. Brother, not grants of wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil my eyes that I, that I may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, so... By way of review, there's our timeline for those of you watching remotely, including you, Greg. Um, on Men of Torah, I put a link to this keynote. If you don't have uh, an iOS device or a Mac, you I also put a link to a PDF. So you can read it. It's ugly in the PDF, but at least you can read it. So we're in uh, this 500-year period here, and um, we are focusing, of course, on the prophets. There's the six major prophets, Eliyahu, Elisha, and Yeshua, and Yirmiyahu, Yehezkel, and uh, we threw Daniel in there even though he's not considered one. And then of course we've got uh, the six prophets before the northern ones, the three before the southern ones are taken, and then the three after. So there's six before and six after the northern tribes are exiled. There's three before and three right after the southern exile. So that's what we're looking at. And then of course, the whole idea is that these these minor prophets are kind of tied to a major prophet. And as we look at Isaiah, tonight we're looking at Obadiah, Jonah, and Micah. Okay, so that's, uh, that's the deal there. All right. Are the themes of the major and the three corresponding minor prophets similar? Yeah, you are, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, that's why we said that Micah, um, actually, I think I can, yeah, let's go ahead and look at those again by way of review since uh, we'll be short tonight. Um, but what I gave you was some mnemonic devices to remember. So Hosea and Amos are the one-two punch to Israel. One right after another, they're just like, hey, you guys are going to get exiled. You guys need to change your, your attitude, your your your, uh, your walk. Obadiah and Jonah speak to other folks, and uh, we'll see that tonight. And Jonah and Nahum both deal with Nineveh. And Habakkuk and Haggai both ask questions. That's, those are actually pretty cool. Um, Joel and Zechariah both write about the end. Micah is Isaiah on Turbo. We're going to go over that tonight. 66 chapters much down into 7 and Zephaniah and Malachi deal with waiting so there you go those are the mnemonic things that I put together to try and remember what each one is talking about and you know they're pretty consistent with the uh, with the other guys and uh, we went through this last time but just to uh, again real quick um, they're all talking about repenting but uh, Hosea, we've got uh, the verse in chapter 2 that we wrap with each morning. In Joel, we're blowing the shofar for judgment. Amos is talking about exile. We're despising the word of the Lord. Obadiah is talking to Edom. We're going to talk about that tonight. Jonah is uh, all about life. Three days and three nights. Quoted by the Master. Micah is uh, to know uh, what God requires. That's cool stuff. Uh, Nahum is about retribution. Again, that's uh, back to uh, Nineveh again. Habakkuk, uh, understanding that the righteous shall live by faith. Faith, that's cool. And then Zephania, uh, a refinement, and uh, teaches us that we really um, can <coughs> learn from exile. A guy dwelling and uh, having the Spirit with us, Zechariah whole return and that's uh, 
and that's that's great stuff there about grabbing onto the sleeve or the kanaf of the Jew and Malachi about watching and learn about Leah. Uh, Alright? So you should be able to, as we did last week, fill that in with those six prophets major, and down below the corresponding three 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 minor prophets. Okay? Questions? That's actually it's Daniel Stephen Lancaster. It's, yeah, it's Daniel Lancaster. It's an olive brother. tree. And uh, Yeshua Sadi. Yeah. Who's the guy on the left? Well, it's time. Who's the guy on the right? Uh, that is Feinberg, right? I think so. Who's the guy in the middle? Because I couldn't remember. Um, but I, I know those eyes. That's, uh, I'm not sure if I know the one in the middle. Uh, I want to say his name is or something. Uh, Do you remember this in Hebrew? Good. Of course, all the guys that can do the Hebrew are here. So if you're uh, if you're watching, um, our sage is a blessed memory. I did want to review real quick who these guys are because we we tend to forget that they've been named by by when they are. So what's the zuko? The pairs. pairs. The pairs. Where are the pairs on the walls? Way over there. They're they're yeah. here. They're the second half, right? Yeah of this wall. The first half is what, where the prophets are. The second half of where the pairs are. Who are the Tanaim? Those are the sages specifically quoted in the Mishnah. Correct. These are the guys that were doing the Mishnah stuff. And where are they on the walls? They're kind of right in the corner and kind of come around a little yeah. bit. First half of this wall is where I would put those guys, right? So Well, but, this but some of them are uh, I mean, well, you, you, end, you end up in the zuko, but you're right near the corner. Yeah, sure. corner and yeah, and a little before the corner, there. and then come around because exactly. you know you've got Hillel and Shammai, which are clearly you know they're right. the last yeah, pair. There, there's but, a goat. Right, there's a goat, but then they, they also are tons. Right, but yeah, yeah. All right, the Amoraim. Those are the sages that are uh, quoted in the Gemara. Exactly. Gemara. Yeah, and they are pretty much oh, in the yeah. second half of this half, okay? And then the Geonim, yes sir, exactly right. This is uh, the guys that were the Torah geniuses and Talmudic scholars, and most of them were where? Spain. Spain, before they went to Spain. Babylon. Oh, Babylon. In Babylon, yeah. and then they went to Spain yeah. and to Western Europe. So the Rishonim and Akaronim, these are actually, both of these words are actually in our prayers. Yep. Right? Our morning prayers and shakari. Yeah. Yep. So what's Rishon mean? First ones. The first ones and the Akaranim are the latter, ones. latter ones, right? Good. Good, good, good. All right. So in English, the pairs of Mishnah, the Gemara, Yeshivot, right? The first ones and the latter ones. And then some examples, right? So uh, hello to Shemai. Greg already mentioned. Yehuda Hanasi, uh, the redactor of Mishnah. Anybody know who the Rav is? I can't remember his full name, but he's he's a guy. He's the, he's constantly yeah. He um, went back and forth from Babylon to Israel and spent a great deal of time with the uh, with Judah the prince. Um, that's Abba Arika, which actually means tall father. He was a really tall father. Oh, yeah, man. tall daddy. That's, that's it, right. tall daddy. <laughs> right. Sa'adi Gaon is uh, probably about eight ninety, eight uh, hundreds kind of thing. Famous for. Besides being brilliant, famous for oh, the, the, the yeshiva, um, or the, he, yeah, he he definitely was teaching. He was. Uh, uh, oh, he was was commentary that he did. He did a lot of commentary, well, but he he's the one that sort of uh, really had the falling out with the guys that become the Karaites. Exactly. Yeah. He argued against the Karite position right. verbally written. 
he would travel to different towns and give seminars. And, and they they virtually disappeared off the face of the planet. And of course, they just started shortly before that, right? So he was jumping in the spot with them. Why is Rabbeinu Gershon there? What's special about him? One of those like super rich guys. No, no. I don't remember much about him. Remember this guy? He's the last one. He's the last guy. Ah. He's the guy who wrote the four things that Jews can't do, like okay. open people's mail. Open people's mail, right? And that was right before the corner, and it affected what happened in Western Europe and uh, was all it of that. one of those things? The uh, monogamy. Yeah. Okay. What were the other two? Top so, of my head, can't remember. Okay. So I know we got two of um, them. Yeah, we're two for four right now. But I'll, I'll look it up. I'll get. It. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Rishonim, Rashi, Ramban, Rambam, you know, all those guys, right? Um, we have uh, the mezuzah is should have been straight up, according to Rashi. Ours is at an angle. Why? For Rabbeinu Tam, so it should be this way, so we get it, you know, Marcus. Um, Rabbeinu Tam is one of the Rishonim as well. Um, and then the Akaranim, uh, I think the Chofetz Chaim uh, would be in there, because I think the Akaranim goes up. How, how far does it go up to? I know it goes past Joseph Caro at 1500, yeah, but yeah. Chofetz Chaim is, is a lot more recent than that. I didn't know it went that I mean, quite that I far. mean, yeah, Chofetz Chaim is, is into the he's 1800s. Contemporary, you know, yeah. you know he's, he's closer to us. Right. Than, uh, yeah. So. Um, but you would have definitely. So Baal Shem Tov, I guess, would be Akronim. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, probably. Uh, who's the Zohar guy? Loria. No. Isaac yeah. Loria. Yeah, Loria. Yeah. The the Arizal. Yeah. He would probably be one as well. I don't think he'd be original. Uh, and then you would. I think you'd have on the Sephardic side of the family. I think you'd have, you know, people like. Um, like um, Yosef Chaim and some some of those people, they they kind of the same vintage as as uh, like Chofetz Chaim. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. All right. Gloria so was the uh, Mesalim Sharon. No, no. Yeah. Who was that? Yari Zal. That's um, is the you know the whole Isaac Gloria. Isaac Gloria. Is, uh, yeah, no. Luzato. Luzato. Yeah, it's probably yeah. Chaim Luzato. He was a tenor. What's the mission of the prophet? Uh, the speak out's general the mission. Speak out's worth the people. Repentance, strong, close back to Torah, back to Shem. Okay. Um, well, let's remember that we've got at least two, if not three or four different prophets that did actually not talk to Israel. So, can we make this a little bit more generic and say that it was to facilitate universal ethical monotheism? Um, kind of. The thing is, the, you, the, what makes the prophets who don't speak to Israel specifically unique is that all the other ones only do. So they're like... Well, they, you either do or you don't. I mean, Well, I know, but I mean, like, there's, not, there's not like... Um, like with Jonah and Obadiah, they don't even they don't even have a ministry to Israel. Like they're strictly to. That's. I'm still asking what the, what is the purpose of the prophets? So maybe totally, I would say that they've got a universal message. Wasn't the issue not that you can't serve God if you're not Jewish? That's a recent thing, right? Universally, teach the world that Israel's God is the God of the entire world. That's what the message was to, to Nineveh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least How about the mission of the Jewish people? Biblically, what's their mission? To be a light to the nations. Conduit of blessing and righteousness to the world. Priest, uh, a nation of priests bringing. They are a nation of priests to bring the Gentile nations closer to Hashem and bring Hashem closer to the Gentile nation. Which brings us right back to the prophets, right? right? But teaching the world about Hashem, big deal there, right? And that was, we just read recently, their primary job was, the priest was, to teach the people. Sure. Um, I would I would also add to glorify his name throughout the world. Amen. 
So, is that the gallery? It looks like the chest library. That's the chest I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Because it's the it's so how flat and green it is. Like there's, I mean, it might not be, but I would assume. I just thought with the mountains in the back there. You you think it is, or you think it's not the gallery? I, um, well, I think it's south of the gallery because the gallery, like Jezreel Valley, leads up to it. Right. So I think it's just real, but it might not be. It just you know, not many places in Israel that are that green with that with the hills. Like that's yeah. unusual. Um, it could be on the Golan. Well, uh, maybe I was thinking other. It could be like towards Haifa. Like those mountains in the distance might be the Haifa Hills, which are by the coast, because the that area is so also facing more green. west. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. I tried to delay it as long as I could, but we're gonna have to look at this. So. <laughs> Obadiah deal. So Avadia, what uh, what does that mean? What's Servant the name of the Hashem. Servant of Hashem. Okay. So um, Obadiah is a cool name. <laughs> what's what's the gist in this one chapter deal? We already know that uh, he he's speaking to Adon. Basically, he's telling you, Dome, that you've really blown it, and there's no hope for you now. There it is. And so he's... I mean, it's a brutal book. He's here, second set of minor prophets. Did the Dome get wiped? Not for a little while. Have they been wiped? Up to interpretation. Okay. They definitely, like, the... The people group that lived at that place at that time um, has gone through some pretty horrific things, but it, it's kind of like at this, I think to this day it's kind of like Amalek. It's like, are not, they all gone? Are they not all gone? If they are not all gone, where are they? Okay. Who are they? Yeah. All right. So what else we know about a dome? And that whole well, I mean on a, on a that's what I want on a mystical level. Yes, a dome is. Uh, Adam is Rome and then by extension Christianity and we could actually start with Esau sure right so Asav the nation of Adam associated with Rome. the anti-messiah or anti-Torah man Christianity mm-hmm. you bet basically what it boils down to is Edom is the arch enemy of Israel they are the, the um, as much as Amalek is like the... The Obadiah stain to the Tony Stark. <laughs> right. As much as, as much as Amalek is, is a nasty villain, um, Edom is the rival. They are the only ones in the, in the prophecy about Esau and Yaakov. They say that the interpretation is that they can never both be powerful at the same time. So as long as, as Israel is righteous and deserving of God's blessings, then Edom will be driven down. But whenever Israel is not who they should be, and they are no longer deserving of the blessings, then Esau, Edom, will rise. So basically, they are, they are a um, almost like, a, in a weird way, kind of like a yin-yang that's not working together. <laughs> but... Um... From a sort of again more mystical Kabbalistic Hasidic perspective, you have <clears throat> yeah you have this this rivalry that between brothers you know Sam and Yaakov that started in the womb continued Amalek is grandson of his grandson of Esau right so that right. that continued <clears throat> um, and is ultimately played out. In the antagonism Christianity historically has had exactly. towards Judaism, yeah. Yeah. right? However, there's an understanding though that unlike Isaac and Ishmael, Esav and Jacob are both born Jewish. They're both born Jewish. Asav is born Jewish. Yeah. Ishmael is not. 
crime. He's not Correct. part of the. He's not part of the covenant. Not a son of the, of the promise. Okay, that's a that's an important distinction from a from a kabbalistic standpoint. Okay. In other words, there is an understanding that while there is this antagonism, as it were, between brothers, where Esav represents Christianity and Yaakov represents Judaism. Yeah. There's an understanding that Asav will come back. In other words, there will be a reconciliation, and he'll come back. Well, that would be nice. Um, because he can't come back because he's he is Jewish. He is. Hmm. Christianity should recognize that its roots are Jewish as well. That that works pretty cool. Huh, For those of you watching from afar, we uh, I have brought up uh, Obadiah verse 4. Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. This, of course, assists with the whole concept that Asav and Adom with the eagle and the stars in some way has to do with Christianity. And I would also add America in general well, was one the of the greatest. primary banners of the Roman Empire. Yeah. The Golden Eagle. The Golden Eagle. So, you know, <laughs> that's, um, that's tough. All right, I'm going to read this quote out loud for those who are listening from afar to make sure that you get it. Uh, this is a quote from the Ramban. We who rely on the opinion of our rabbis of blessed memory believe that we are presently in the exile of a dome or Rome, and that we shall have no respite from it until the coming of the Messiah. The Edomites, the nation around Mount Seir, descended from Esau, were the first to mistakenly follow after the man who claimed that he was the Messiah. Who's he talking about? Yeshua. Yeshua, sure. They also ascribed godliness to him. When they came to the land of Italy, their error spread to the nearby city of Rome, there in the days of Constantine, who ruled over Rome, the council, under the authority of the bishop of the city of Rome, determined their belief in him and established it as the religion of the empire. Nice little encapsulation of how Christianity began. I always thought it was the other way around, that Christianity became Edom in Judaism perspective because of Rome. I didn't realize that they see it as Christianity was Edom beforehand, and that's why Rome is considered Edom. That's interesting. This, above all else, is the main cause and reason that Rome and Adom are considered as one kingdom, although they're different nations. In spite of that difference, they are related because of the uniformity of belief, which makes them one people and one nation. The sages of the Targum thus explain that Rome is in Grecian Italy, and that many of the Edomite people are contained therein. Hence, Rome is called a daughter of Adom, in Lamentations 4, 22. Where's this excerpt taken from? Don't remember. That's an interesting take. But I can find it uh, in about two seconds with Google. Well, that makes the conversations coming from a Christian background with Jews very difficult. Yeah, it sure does. And explain some of the antagonism that, that comes about when people draw near the Chabad house. Because one of their primary focuses that they teach right up front is... We believe that the sages are an authority. They have said, therefore, it's been said. Boom. And these he is quoting those sages. So it's a uh, it's a tough deal there. Um, Edomites. So the Edomites were the first mistakenly follow after the man. I was trying to figure out where on the map tonight when I reread this where Mount Seir is. It's in the south. Ish. Southeast. Yeah. Well the the, the book speaks of a southern group anyway, so but uh, that's an interesting version. But the only the only thing that I yeah. kind of raised my eyebrows about that statement is the first people well, to no. follow after well, the man who claimed to be Messiah. We're, we're not saying 
that he's right. <laughs> it's just what they're what yeah, right. saying. Right. Now, keep in mind, he's saying this literally a thousand years right. plus or minus 20 years right. after the events, but he is yeah. making it clear these guys, these Edomites, grabbed it first. Now, that's very convenient if you're tying it with Rome and the whole deal. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. He's the Edomites, I mean, if, if they did, if some Edomites did believe, they certainly learned it from an orthodox temple sect of Judaism. Right. So, but again, uh, as we saw with some of our recent arguments here on Messiah, classic Judaism today does not want to even recognize that there, there was a temple sect of Judaism that believed that Yeshua was the Messiah. Anyway, I thought it was uh, interesting stuff. So, um, questions on Obadiah? I mean, it, it reads like you were saying, or you were saying, one of, one of you guys were saying, it's pretty tough on a dome. Well, the, um, I remember the, uh, you remember when we were at the Upton's house and the um, Rivka Witten and her husband and kids came performed and, and her husband did a, uh, a drosh and Josh, he, he also mentioned that, um, according to his opinion, the, um, the book of Obadiah speaks, along with several other places like Ezekiel, about the future destruction of the Arab nations. Well, Yom is in, um, I think, what is modern day Jordan or Saudi Arabia is in that, that area. Yeah, it would be southern. It would be southern Jordan and north. Eastern Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So it's, I mean, that's, it's that area. That's why I say, like, we don't know what people group it is today, but yeah. the region, locality, just happens to be more bad guys. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, Obadiah, I mean, it's actually hard to read. Like, if you've ever read that book. Um, that chapter? That, 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah, the whole book is one chapter. Um, yeah, it is one page. easily one of the um, most brutal texts, I would probably say. It's very strong. It's very, very, very rough on his own. And, it, and the thing is, the whole point, and I think this goes back to, if you remember, the, the, if you've done the Birkat on the Zone during the week, you have that very interesting psalm that ends with, you know, praises he will dash your little ones against the rocks. That's talking about Babylon, but... Um, that mindset is applied here to Edom because Edom gets really dinged, and I don't know, I'm a little confused with the timeline, I guess Obadiah is looking somewhere in the future here, but Edom gets really dinged because well, of the way that they treat Israel well, during look, the Babylonian exile. Look at 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations, as you have done, it shall be done to you. So that's definitely a future portending, mm-hmm. which is why I asked you, you know, has a dome been wiped out as, as dramatically as it says? And the answer is no, not yet. Well, the, it makes sense that there's that parallel with Babylon because there's only two nations on, in the history of the planet that actually destroyed the house. Mm-hmm. Babylon and Rome. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, and my understanding is one of the reasons why why Edom gets why Rome is is associated with Edom is because uh, my understanding is that historically when the Romans came in to ransack Jerusalem and kind of you know, mm-hmm. that it was actually a legion of Edomites wow. that were the ones that physically carried out the destruction of the temple. It was under the, under Roman sure. you know, it was sure. under Roman command sure. and, and Roman but, order, but, but it was an, it was an, specifically an, an, a legion of, of, of Edomites that had wow. you know whatever had you know yeah. uh, were, well, they knew were they, under uh, the employ of Rome. Yeah, they probably knew they already had a, a death wish and grudge you know against them already. They probably had to pay them less than they did. <laughs> well, <laughs> but the like Italians. This, <laughs> but this book, as you as you said, we're talking about, you don't. During the Babylonian exile, as they're being led away, the, the Jewish people, 
the dome mocks them, laughs at them, I think attacks and kills some of them. I mean, they're just, they're ruthless yeah. to the, the Jewish exiles in their moment of absolute degradation. And so that's one of the, re that's the primary reason that I recall from the, from the stages as why they get such an extensive obliteration is because they they so horrible. I mean, I'm not, not saying there's not any hope for them, but as a nation, yeah. there's such a dramatic uh, um, punishment. Is because um, they so they uh, it was one thing for Israel to be punished, but they like they like really um, they rejoiced in it. True, in Assyria, the same thing. We notice at the very end of this uh, short book. A phrase again, out of our prayers, Savior shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. It's an interesting verse. Yep. Interestingly enough, it, has, it is associated with, I think Rambam cites that one as evidence as to why Messiah will defeat the dome. Which is intriguing because the word Savior is there is in plural. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think Art Scroll translates it that way. It's plural. So, I mean, I think it's interesting that it's it's still cited as a Messianic reference. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure it is plural. A savior shall come forth from Zion. I think it's plural. In the arts world, it's singular. I mean, like an Asador. Right. Verse 21. Um. Uh, no. Um. That's us. Soon. That's a day. Shame. Yeah, about that. It is Oh, no, it's not. Even, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's Archhold that I think translates it as. Anyway, I just say it's interesting that even though it is plural, it is still cited as a messianic reference. By Jews. <coughs> but, you know, it, the English is being translated as Savior. Savior but it, Savior Wars, right? But. It, it could also be translated as deliverers. Right. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, I mean, I'm not talking, I'm not harping on English, I'm just saying that, yeah. that if you look at the verse, um, it's intriguing to me that even though it's in the plural, it is still cited as a Messianic reference, um, but not for plural messiahs. I mean, it's like, it's right. still referencing specifically one guy. Because um, I know that, yeah, I've read the translations that do some games with it, and and of course, the word "savior" in Christianity stands out. So that's just the well. The neat part is they do play games with it, which raises the question: Why do they play games with it? I like verse twenty: The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in the Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. So that's in the south, right? Where we just talked about. And there are, I think, Jews from Spain who live in the Negev today. Cool. All right, so much for Ramban. We move on to Jonah. This, <laughs> this should be uh, uh, easy fare for you. Four venues, can you name them? We named them last week. A ship. That's the first one. Okay. Second one, a whale or a big great fish. Okay. And then, of course, Nineveh. On land in Nineveh. In the city. Outside Nineveh. And then the desert? And on a hill. Oh. Right? Overlooking the city. All bummed. Right? So, um, as I mentioned last week, the sages say that these four chapters, these four venues, actually represent the four periods of a man's life. Disobedience, exile, rebirth, in paradise. It's interesting to me that the hill is represented as paradise because he seems pretty miserable on the hill. He is miserable, but he is then spoken to personally by God. He is comforted. He is made to realize that God has provided for his needs. Okay. Um, what is uh, 
What is ironic about this? What specifically? The book. The whole message. What's that? That he's picking, picking the Gentiles? Well, he's not the only prophet that does that. So what's ironic about this? What's his message? Repent. His message is repent. So what was his reaction to the call? To disobey. He disobeyed. Yeah, it's like right? he, so he wants to run away from God. And he disobeyed. Because he doesn't want them to repent. He doesn't want them to repent. Well, he, they, so then they, he tells them to repent. And they do. And what happens? They do. And he's bummed. So well, what's ironic? Figures, well, he figures that it either it's going to be um, disingenuous or that... Um, we don't know what he thought. Yeah. We, we have an idea that he doesn't want to go there. Hazal's interpretation but, is that he's afraid they'll repent because they're the enemy of Israel. And he knows that they well, will come and But the irony out. is that Nineveh is, is, the, is the base for the nation that actually has carried out the judgment of God on Israel for their lack of obedience. That's right. the irony. And right? now the enemies of God listened to the prophet. The people of God did not. That's the irony. And the very people that actually listened turned out to be his instrument. Right. Amazing. Amazing. I don't think it lasted real long, though. I think they said, I think honestly, the tradition was that Nineveh basically 80 years later. It was all over for them too. So well, and there were periods in Israel history where there were fewer years than that. Yeah, Nineveh's in Assyria. No, no, not righteousness. I'm talking about like they they got judged 80 years later because they things fell over. Yeah, um, Assyria was taken over by Babylon. Mm-hmm. So, all right, last one, Micah. I think that's a pretty good question. Mm. So, Sea of Galilee. I was going to say, that looks like the Galilee. I took that picture myself. Cool. <clears throat> okay, so we just, you know, have bullet points here. If you didn't get a chance to read it recently, I, I strongly encourage you, check it out. Um, it, it's like reading all 66 books of Isaiah in a <clears throat> encapsulated deal, and some of it is... Word, um, word for word. Yeah. It just Chapter pulls it right 4 out. is like literally Isaiah... What is that? Isaiah 14? Yeah, like that? Like, it's like word, word for word, like the, almost the exact same chapter. They, are, they definitely have the same message. Uh, and what this, uh, what's uh, a vote is there? What is that? Idol worship. worship. It's idol worship, sure. So, why it's did I put that? Why did I put that? Because we don't pray to people. We don't pray to express dead people. Well, I guess if they if, if they resurrected, they're no longer dead. <laughs> no, not, not, if they're alive, they're not dead. That's right. If they're alive, they're not dead. Somebody write that down at home. <laughs> if they're alive, they're not dead. Yeah. That's a, it's a bad thing. Um, and but, mostly dead. But let's also make alive. sure. Let's make sure the record's clear. That's an that's a living person we don't pray to either. Yeah, on the it's off living, chance that the, living, that the guy happens to be God, who claims to be God, then you're okay. But we do not pray to him, according to his own instruction. I, 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 now I see where you're going. I agree with that. Uh, I, mean, I think we got to be He's clarifying. Yeah, yeah, he's clarifying. A, and it's very a different from what a lot of people believe. That's exactly right. Because um, in your name who, is different from... Who, who does this? Um, well, Catholics do it a Big lot. Time, right? They, they pray to saints for assistance. I mean, the Virgin Mary is, you know, gets various a lot of Asian, She's got a toll-free number now, by the way. Various Eastern and Asian religions yeah, are big that. about praying to ancestors. Exactly, exactly. So this is a an, an idol worship that isn't an idol as much as it is a person and uh, just as bad. And then... Uh, we have money, and we see that a lot in Micah, as the priests are taking money uh, for teaching and doing some other stuff, and this is a, a regular thing um, in Christianity for sure, as we see out of worship slipping in 
uh, certainly where there is even the Torah. Micah is again paralleling Isaiah. Who is the who is the king that Isaiah speaks to? One of them. Hezekiah. Before that. Messiah. To whom did he say, hey, this is going to happen. Ask for a sign. Ask for Ahaz. anything you want. To Ahaz. Pretty evil king, right? Bad dude. Yeah. So, um, if you understand where Ahaz is and Hezekiah and all of that, you're in the right zone for... Uh, the sign being the Alma. Correct, yes. Yeah, the, the virgin shall, uh, or young maiden, will conceive and bear a child. And before he's old enough to know his right hand from his left, this firebrand and this guy, I mean, these, these two yokers are gone. Yeah, kind of um, I'm astonished that the temple destruction is associated with Hezekiah. Why, why is it? What's, what's the deal there? He Why are you astonished that's the case? Because yeah. Hezekiah, Hezekiah was, was righteous. He was, he was, he was almost a, he was, he was a, a Messiah candidate. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He made a mistake. What did he do? He invited the Babylonians to come check things out. Come check things out. Yeah. I got, every time I read that, I, I always think about what we're reading now. Don't count these people. Okay, count these people. Count them now. Don't count them later. You know, the whole day. Well, it's interesting because Hezekiah becomes the um, tragic um, poster child, so to speak, for the the modern Jewish idea of modesty. Because Judaism believes that his primary failing is that basically he's showing off. He invited them over, he shows them everything, he knows the gold, the wealth of the temple, blah, blah, blah. blah. And because he... um, was showy, unneedlessly, then it, the, that invites the Babylonians, incites the Babylonians to come take it, to get an evil eye kind of concept. Yeah. Whereas, um, as of Judaism today, it tends to encourage people to, you know, dress below your means, don't let people go wandering around your house showing off everything you've got. You know, it's like basically trying to appear, even if you are wealthy, less wealthy than you are, because the, you're not trying to be showy. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, with respect to the sign that was given to Ahaz, reminds me of the gematria for the day. The gematria for the day. All right, let's hear it. Miriam. Right. Plus twenty-six. Okay. Equals Yeshu. <laughs> really? Really? That's fun. That's cool. It is cool. Yeah. It's That's twenty-six being the gematria for Hashem. Correct. That's fine. That's cool. All right. Micah mentions Messianic days, talks about the daughters of Zion. And uh, that's the almost word for word quote from Isaiah. Yeah. Um, I saw something interesting in this book that I don't recall reading anywhere else. Hashem says that, you know, I, I sent you Moses. I sent you Aaron. He adds Miriam. Micah says, I sent you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Major prophetess. Yeah. So it, it is uh, it is interesting that she's included in that way. And I think lends a lot of credence to the whole prophetess thing and, and all that and, and waiting for her when she was uh, smitten and so forth. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a sad, sad deal here uh, to hear this stuff and then to recognize that, boom. Speaking of the other Miriam, Micah also is the reference where we get the birthplace of Messiah. Bethlehem. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and then, uh, who is like you, we quote um, during the prayers as well. So there's a lot of stuff coming out of the prayers from here. Well, but. I mean, yeah, d- definitely Micah chapter 5, I think, oh, yeah. is um, kind of really has, there's that fascinating prophecy, right, about Who is like, um, Bethlehem, you know, small, but you're you. small among the cities of Judah, but out of you, you know, 
Um, it is right there. Verse 2, you, you, O Bethlehem, Ephratha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. That is a very cool verse. Right. Um, but obviously, I mean, obviously, there's many, many hints to that in the Torah and other places well, before we get here. But. Right, but this one's, I guess, unique. It's very, it's it's very explicit. explicit. Right. It's an explicit geographic location. So, like, when you read in the apostolic writings, in the, in the apostolic scriptures, in Luke and whatnot, when you know, Matthew, I think, specifically, Herod's trying to figure out where is Messiah supposed to be born, where are these wise men going, they quote here. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Notice uh, in verse 5 here at the bottom, he shall be their peace. He shall, verse 4, stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of Hashem. Let's get the very mystical reference of the seven shepherds. Well, even before that, I mean, this, this just not just verse 2 about Bethlehem, but you've got, um, again, as Isaiah does, right, in 65 and, uh, and so forth, I mean, uh, 54 and 55, you've got the, the uh, servant of the Lord that is going to do all these things. Sometimes it's singular, sometimes it's plural. It's pretty clear here. Um, and as a parallel, I think it's a, it's a real good backup. You shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. So the guy's a Jew. There's a... Uh, the rest of his brothers, I think you did a drush on that many years ago. I started talking about Benjamin and who he was and all that kind of deal. Uh, standing as shepherd in the strength of Hashem, the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure for now, they shall be to the ends of the earth. He shall be their peace. That is just astonishing to me. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. When he wrote this, they hadn't yet. These are the three guys just before the northern kingdoms were taken. Mm. So it's like, hello? <laughs> They're coming. Yeah. And then the, the land of Nimrod. I'm not sure where that is. It is um, uh, that region is sort of the linkage between Assyria and Babylon. So I think in this case he's referencing Assyria, um, but that territory is kind of in that general section. And down uh, towards the end of this book, we get the Mika and Mocha. get back into the future. The nation shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. And where we better put cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Yeah, which we do on the Tashik service. Uh, verse 18, who is like, who is a God like you, Mika El Mocha? Pardoning inequity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. Well, we just quote, we have a lot of prayers come from this book. That last yeah. verse in verse 20, you just so faithless to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, that's from um, the Mika and Shabbat. Yeah, it's all over the place here. So it's good stuff. Questions on Micah? Good wrap up. Last. Out of worship. Right? He says, uh, tells us to repent. Who is like you, oh God? You get to get picture too. See one of those. That's uh, Corazine. Corazine, yeah. Who is like you? Good stuff.
I think that uh, we should recognize, as the sages have done by sticking them in so many of the prayers, that these three talking to either his people about repenting or another land about repenting as, or another nation uh, all of it was repentance and, and coming back to God and the faithfulness of God towards his people and that's a timeless message that's, that's not just, just back then was it one, two, three thousand years ago mm-hmm. that, that works for us and tradition holds that there were thousands of prophets yeah. mm-hmm. and the only ones that are written down are the ones whose messages are timeless exactly right yeah. exactly right mm-hmm. so I'm actually going to say that very that's uh, that is the deal comments on Obadiah Micah uh, Obadiah Jonah or Micah Really worthy of a real actual study, deep dive, verse by verse. Yeah. Absolutely. So my my goal is, and it was last time, but we never did it, was to just walk through the twelve real quick like this and highlight some things because we should be familiar with them, yeah. and we quote the verses all the time. You know, you'll quote something, and we all know oh, this is Zechariah. Oh, he quotes them. Oh, we know that's Micah. But to get it in context and to tear it apart and do that, I think would be a great study. So. My goal is when we finish the overview next week and, uh, and, and knock them out, I think we'll have most of them. We'll have to see. Um, I'd, I'd like us to pick one. You know? We'll do a Sermon on the Mount and we'll do a, we'll do a prophet. And, you know, Isaiah is a little bit much for me to bite off and chew. Micah is a lot easier. Isaiah is a long term project. Wow. That's a long term you know, project. And seen it, to do it right. Really, Three sections, all of see the, the major prophets are, The major prophets are tough. They're long. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've got to really be committed to those. I mean, if you yeah. did a chapter a week on Isaiah, you'd be doing it for a over, year and a quarter. Over a year, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. And it's hard to get the whole, the whole picture. Yeah. To me, the best way to study any book of the Bible is to memorize the book. If you memorize the book, then you can... Your, your God does things with your brain that he cannot do otherwise. Mm-hmm. You can lay it out on a piece of paper with all kinds of colored uh, markings and whatnot, but if you've got it all in there, he, he can go, did you notice this? What about this? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I'd like to do. I just might not have it in my lifetime. Johnny, would you uh, pull that up and give us a uh, closing blessing? <clears throat> I, by the way, have not had my heart-healthy glass of red wine today. If you'd like to have one with me, I'd be happy to share. (laughs) We thank you, Adonai, our God, that you have established our portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established our portion with idlers. For we arise early, and they arise early. We arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. We toil, and they toil. We toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. We run, and they run. We run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction, as it is written. And you, O God, will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for us, we will trust in you. Amen. Thank you, Johnny.